0: Welcome to Large Group, everyone. It's good to see you. We're officially over the hump with the semester. Um, I don't know what to do with this. I'll just leave it there. (laughs) Um, It's good to see you all here tonight. Um, If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, My name is Jonathan. I am the campus minister here with RUF. Uh, And so, if this is your first time, second time, 40th time, welcome. I'm glad y'all are, I'm glad you're here. So, um, what was I going to do? I was going to do something else. Don't remember. Um, so anyways, we've been studying the, the, uh, the book of John the last couple of weeks this semester and uh, looking at what John has to say about who Jesus is and why it matters to our lives. And uh, tonight we're going to look at uh, an extremely powerful piece of uh, text. And I, I, it's been good to me as I've been studying it this week, so I hope it's good to you. Uh, so yesterday I ran all over this dumb city trying to find a tool because um, I've been doing some car work and I need to get a new tool for it. So I had to go to three different Walmarts to find the tool um, because none of them, apparently is what I was trying to find was like the most stolen tool in America. So, <laughs> so I had to go to a bunch of different Walmarts and as I was going to the different Walmarts, in front of every Walmart, there's a police car. And um, we all know why there's a police car in front of every Walmart in Las Cruces and in El Paso. Um, because somebody walked into Cielo Vista Mall and shot a bunch of people, and it was awful. And we are all still reeling from that. Uh, Yeah, and as I was thinking, every time I walk through there, I, I think about those people who are maybe going to Walmart, maybe never going to Walmart again, and having to wrestle with the fact that people they love are dead, and the fact that we now have to spend money paying a police officer to stand outside of a Walmart or stand inside a Walmart, like in effect, sort of wasting his time, but also not wasting his time. I was like, what kind of a world do we live in? (laughs) Where that's what, that's the kind of world that we live in. And I have to go to three Walmarts and everyone has somebody who has to guard us. And that's been, you know, guard us from dying really. And, um, so I've been thinking, as I was thinking through that, I was thinking, and then I read this text yesterday as I was looking for this tool, and this text is about death, um, and so I've been thinking about this text in the midst of death and uh, what happened last month, two months ago, and I was I've just been trying to think, like, how do we wrestle with death? Like, how, Like, really, at the end of the day, how do we wrestle with death? And tonight we're going to see how Jesus encounters that tragedy of death, that ultimate tragedy, and how this text, I think, gives us sort of three, I mean, it gives us more than that, but three things I want to focus on tonight, three tools, three pieces of how we wrestle with death, and the first one is theology, second one is emotion, and the third one is hope. Uh, And so, just a little bit of context before we dig into this, we're going to look at a lot of texts again, we've done this a couple of times, so I'm going to read it as we go, not all in one chunk, but... um, to give us a little context before we dig into it. Um, so the text opens up, or John chapter 11 opens up with this good friend of Jesus who becomes sick, right? And um, his friends or his sisters call, call Jesus and say, hey, our brother is sick. We've seen you do great things. Hint, hint, you want to come, come do something? And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to come. And they're like, oh wow, that's strange. And so Jesus delays coming. And while Jesus delays coming to see his good friend, his friend dies. His friend's name is Lazarus. And um, everyone's left going like, why did you not go? Now he's dead. We've seen you heal people. Why did you not go? And now he's gone. This is your friend. Uh, and Jesus says, um, "Jesus says, well, there's more going on here than, than meets the eye. And then this is where we're going to pick up. So um, Jesus then starts to go to see uh, his, his friend's grave and the uh, his, his sisters, and that's where we're going to pick up our text today. Uh, but what's important here is that Jesus knows, spoiler alert, Jesus knows what's going to happen in all of this. Jesus has a plan all along that says, I'm not going to let my best friend stay dead. And miraculously, this is the miracle, it's a sign, Jesus raises Lazarus back to life. And that's, that's a miracle. We can talk about that later. But what I want us to focus on is, is what that actually means. But what's important here is that Jesus knows that his friend is going to die and he's going to do things and teach things to us in the midst of that. But that's really important to remember is here is that Jesus knows what's about to happen and yet still wrestles with and teaches us these things. So the first thing I want us to look at is, okay, the friends don't know this. Their brother is dead. And Jesus comes to them and begins to meet them in the midst of that grief. So the first thing I want us to note here is in the midst of grief, we learn, this sounds abstract, and I'll, I'll try to nail it down. We learn theology, or we see the importance of theology. So look, at, look with me at verse 17. I'm going to read uh, 10 verses. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany, that's the place where, they, uh, where he was buried, was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, Martha said, I know he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So this is the first thing that we begin to see, is, is Jesus meets this woman in her incredible grief. Her brother's been dead for four days, and now the shock and the numbness are setting in. And she comes to Jesus, and she asks an incredibly human question. Why were you not here? I've seen, we've heard, we've seen what you can do. Why did you delay? And it's in that moment... That Jesus begins to teach her and to fortify her in the midst of that. Now, remember, Jesus knows what he's going to do. He already knows that he's going to raise Lazarus back from the dead, and yet he has this incredibly caring and tender conversation with Martha. He goes and meets her, and she asks this question. She says, If you had been here, and that, I I read that, and I I read that probably a hundred times today. And I just felt the longing humanness of that question. Like, where was God on August 3rd at Cielo Vista Mall? Where was God when X happened, when your grandmother died, or when your dad died, or when something ter- that is the, that is the question that we all ask. Like, God, where were you? If you had been here, my would not be dead. And I love that the Bible gives us the freedom to ask that question. And I love how Jesus doesn't reprimand her. He doesn't yell at her for asking for He questions. He he, he, he's so tender and caring to that, to her in that. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then yet she says, she says but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And he says, your brother will rise again. And... <clears throat> I, I think that's amazing because she's got this amazing balance of like trust and pain at the same time. She's somehow trusting that Jesus can do things and she's in the midst of incredible pain. And she's a model to us in that. She's something that we can imitate or seek to imitate of, God, where were you? And somehow I trust that you are from God and you can do, God will listen to you. And then Jesus gives this very cryptic response. He says, your brother will rise again. And he's being intentionally ambiguous here, not to be cruel, but to push us towards the theological point here. He knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows what he's planning to do. And Martha says, Martha's like, well, yeah, I get that. And it was well known, a lot of Jews back in the day had some sort of idea of a resurrection. So she just thinks that he's referring to like some end of time resurrection. She's like, that doesn't help me at all. I'm just going to recite. She's just like, I know we're all going to be raised. That doesn't help me in my pain. That doesn't help me in my grief. How is that supposed to help me? And it's at this moment that Jesus teaches her an incredible theological lesson and puts himself at the center of it. He says, oh, you think that resurrection is way out there? I tell you what, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, what you think is going to happen right there is actually right here in front of you. And in that, he's teaching an incredibly comforting and profound theological lesson to her. And then he says something confusing. Look at verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes and believes in me shall never die. It's a bit of a word play that Jesus does here with the words life and death, right? And another way you could say this, if you were to kind of explain it out, he says, the person who believes in me, even though he or she dies physically, they will live spiritually. And everyone who physically lives believing in me will not ultimately or spiritually die. That's what he's saying here. And what he's doing is he's placing himself at the center of, of that dynamic of never dying, of eternal life. He's saying, I am the source of never dying life. I am the means of solving death once and for all. It's all about me. Believe in me, Jesus says, in the midst of your grief. And I think he's teaching her a profound lesson about who he is. That is, he is teaching her theology in her pain. And I think that's amazingly important for you and for me. Because it shows us it shows us the role and the important place of theology in our lives, in our pain even. <clears throat> I think a lot of times we think of like theology, the study of God, the study of Christian faith. We think of something that like privileged professors do in a seminary or in a divinity school or something like that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really have anything to do in our daily lives, especially when pain happens. And I think there's some, some truth. I mean, there's some, there's some reason why we think that. Like, then the medieval church, monks would do, would do just that. They would sit in ivory towers, and they would, like, ask, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? And one would say, like, one, and one would say infinite. And then there was, like, an answer for everything in between. And, you know, at the end of the day, people were like, so what? Life's hard. Does this matter? <laughs> Does this actually, you know? And, and the reality is is that nothing is farther from the truth. Theology should relate to our human needs. It should speak directly to the life that you are leading in the trenches at New Mexico State, in your grief and pain. And if it doesn't, it's bad theology. Here's how important this is. I want you all to hold me accountable. If I say things from up here that you can't figure out how they relate to your life, call me on it. Call me on it. Christianity should relate to your life. Theology matters when you are in math class, when you are in sociology, when you are in ethics, when you are in kines. Theology should matter. And all the more it should matter when people die. Theology is important because we live in a world where bad things happen, where wicked, awful, tragic things happen, and we desperately search for and long for answers outside of ourselves. Sometimes people will say that religion is just basically the desperate ravings of people who are looking for some supernatural power to save them. And they say that like it's a criti- critique of religion. And when people say that, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. <laughs> you look at Cielo Vista and you say you don't, you don't need an explanation for that. What kind of monster are you? We're desperately looking for something outside of the system-closed world that we live in that can make some sense of meaning, that can bring something hopeful out of that mess, out of that pain, out of that death. And the Christian faith says that there is something, and it's found within the theology of the Bible. Theology is important because life is hard, and we need theology to explain and fortify us when life hurts. And theology is not enough. And so we press on, and Jesus teaches us another lesson. Look down at the text, look at verse 28. back up with Martha. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, this is Mary, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. Met him, yeah. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go, they followed, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? So Martha sends her sister Mary to see Jesus. And Mary comes to Jesus and look what she asks. The exact same question that Martha asked. God, if you had been here, Jesus, where were you? My brother's dead and you could have fixed it. Where were you? And she falls at his feet and you can picture this woman crumpled in tears, sobs racking her body. Where were you in this pain? Simultaneously bitter and sad and frustrated with Jesus and in shock and numb that her brother is gone and she'll never see him again. Overcome with emotion and she's weeping bitterly. Where were you? And it's interesting because uh, in the midst of this, look what Jesus does. He does not respond to her like he responds to Martha. He responds with incredible tenderness and emotion. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who were with him, her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now that phrase, deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled, that's a really weak translation in the original Hebrew, it's basically like his very soul was consumed with indignation and frustration and rage. The word that is, um, where is it? The word for greatly troubled is is also used throughout Greek literature. Basically, at like a horse that's got its bit in its mouth and it's chomping and chewing at the bit and it's just angry. It's just angry. That's what Jesus feels when he sees the sadness and the weeping. He's, he's, he's infuriated. He's mad. He's frustrated. He sees all this sadness and this weeping, and he's like, Oh, I hate death. Oh, I hate this. I hate that he's gone. That's how Jesus looks at death. And again, he knows what he's going to do. And he still hates death because of the effects that it's having. Jesus knows he's about to raise this man, and yet, what does he do? He's furious at it, and then what does he do? The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Think about that for a second. Jesus, knowing that he is going to raise this man from the dead in ten minutes, Jesus, God himself, who has somehow known for eternity past that Lazarus was going to die and that he was going to raise him, Jesus, God in flesh, weeps for sadness at death. That is powerful. That is a God that I can worship, that you can worship, because he, he walks a mile in our emotion, in our sadness. He felt the full emotion that humans feel at the sadness and the loss in our world. There's two lessons from this. First, Jesus can empathize with you in your sadness. Jesus is not some distant, removed God who's up there like, gee, I wonder what it's like to hurt, to feel the pain of death. Jesus knows what it's like to weep over death because he did it. Jesus experienced the death of pain the pain of death and loss the death of his good friend he knows what it's like There's a second thing that's important here It's that emotions are important Emotions are important Notice what Jesus does with Mary He doesn't give her another theology lesson He gets right down there with her and weeps with her He's angry he's frustrated he cries Emotion is important in grief. We can't bury our sadness in our hurt. Some of you come from families that are rather stoic in the face of pain and sadness. You just have to, you know, like, I, you know, I remember hearing sometimes growing up, I just got to grin and bear it. I just got to rub some dirt on it or pick yourself up and keep going on. Just got to keep pressing on, push through. Crying won't do any good Now Jesus here frees us to be sad and to weep and to cry at the bad things in our world and in our lives. The, to be upset at the badness. Jesus frees, gives us freedom to lean into our emotion. And y'all, we need that. Because we live in a world that is an emotionally dark place. And we need a God who gives us the freedom to feel the weight of that. And to say, I've been there. I know what it's like. I've wept over the death of my good friend. So Jesus teaches us why theology is important in grief and death. Jesus teaches us how emotion is important in death and grief. Third, he teaches us about hope. Teaches us about hope. Let's keep going. Then Jesus deeply moved, save word, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a sto- stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you will always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he has said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So Jesus comes to this tomb. He's, he's pissed at death. He's furious. He says, open the grave. And Martha's like, yeah. Why you got to rub it in? Why do we have to smell our brother's rotting flesh? Why do you do this? He says, do it. And then he goes and prays and he calls out. And a dead man walks out of a grave. That's his power. That's the power of God. And again, this miracle is incredible. It's amazing to us. We're like, how does that happen? If y'all have questions about like how miracles can happen, please come talk to me. I'm more than willing to talk through that. What I want to focus on here is why it's important. Why is the miracle it's important? Because remember, Jesus does these things never just to flex and say, "Look what I can do." He does it to point to things that are more important. Miracles point to what's significant. They're signs, they're previews of what to come. So, think about a movie preview that you just saw recently. Maybe you went to a movie or you're on YouTube watching previews or something and you see a preview and you think, "Wow, I want to see that movie. That looks like a great movie." Well, why? Because the preview effectively points you to the movie. You don't watch the preview and be like, well, I'm done. you, you, you like, I want to I wanna go watch the movie now. You, you know, you get caught up in it. They, you know, Previews suck us in. They make us pay attention. And they're not the main attraction. That's the movie. That's why we want to go. The same is true here with Lazarus. Lazarus' resurrection is the preview for something even greater, something even more hopeful. Lazarus is the preview to what Jesus is going to do when Jesus dies and then comes back to life. And then that points us even forward, more forward to when Jesus says, I am the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me will never die, but will be resurrected. And that's where our hope is, friends. That's the hope in the midst of our death and our defeat. That the miracle points to Jesus defeating death and the hope that we have first in His resurrection and by our, resu- by our union with Him through faith, by believing in Him in our resurrection. And that cycles us back to verse 25 again, where He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Look what I just did to Lazarus. Whoever believes in me, though he die, just like Lazarus did, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks this question, do you believe me? And that's the same question that the text asks of you today. Do you believe me? In the midst of the pain of death that happens in your life and in my life, do you believe him that he is the resurrection and the life? This sign, it gives us hope that Jesus is not absent, but has worked and is working and will work to eradicate death forever. That is our hope, friends, is that in the midst of grieving Cielo Vista, in the midst of asking, where is God? We can trust that God has killed death forever through Jesus. Friends, that is hope in the midst of your pain all the way up to death. This sign gives us hope that Jesus is not absent so that we don't have to ask, God, where were you? You know where he was? He was dying and coming back to life. And he's going to come again. That's our hope. That's the Christian hope in the midst of death. So how does this apply to our lives? First, friends, the importance of theology. Theology is so important when life gets hard theology is crucial in grief because it forms the foundation you can land on when the bottom falls out of your life. When you get that phone call at 2 a.m., which could happen at any moment, you're just like, oh God, what happened? Theology is that place that you land on that say Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's important that you know. So friends, study it. Study the ins and outs of the Christian faith so that you can have that foundation that's why we make a big deal about theology here. That's why, we, that's why I'm here. I'm a campus minister who's been trained in theology to teach you all why, 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 why. Do I just do this for the heck of it? No, it's because it matters to your life tomorrow. It matters to your life when the bottom falls out. Second, the importance of emotion in your grief. I'm telling you this right now, you deny your humanity when you fail to grieve and cry and weep and be angry and indignant at the brokenness of the world. You deny your humanity. Both of these two things, theology and emotion, are so important, and you can't have one without the other. If you only have emotion, then you're just left with pure sentiment. So what does that look like? It looks like the comfort that comes from a Hallmark card. <laughs> How much comfort does a Hallmark card give you? You know, they never say the word death in a Hallmark card. You can look through all of them. They never use the word death because they don't want to talk about it because they're just trying to make you feel good, just kind of like prop you up with a picture of some pastel flowers. Like that's what, that's what it is. Like that is just pure sentiment. It's just, it's not. there's nothing to it. At my great-grandmother's funeral, this is terrible, but at my great-grandmother's funeral, there was this, in the homily, they were just like, they didn't know what to say. And so they were just like, when you see a sun ray, it's her shining down on you. And I was like, that's worthless. That does nothing to my mother and my grandfather in the midst of their grief. It's worthless. It's just sentiment. You have to have theology in the midst. You, ha- you can't just have emotion. But if you just have theology, then you just have some true statement that somehow cuts more deeply than if you had said nothing at all. This happens on Instagram all the time. I read stuff like this. I read something on Instagram the other day that just pissed me off. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I feel really strongly about this. It said, it said, whatever pain you're going through, it happened for a reason and it will change into what you're meant to be. Whatever pain you're going through, it happened for a reason and it will change you into what you're meant to be. I'm like, sure, that's a true statement. It's true and it's utterly worthless. (laughs) Like it doesn't make me feel any better about the crap that my life is in right now sometimes. How many of you, maybe if you grew up in a Christian world, did you get Romans 8.28 bombed? You know, Romans 8.28, for, you know, for everything works together for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. Something bad has happened in your life and some Christian just comes and says, Romans 8.28, all works. Like, no! That's a true statement and it does not help me one bit in the midst of my s- sadness. You have to have emotion and theology together at the same time to find comfort and hope. Otherwise... It cuts just as deeply if you'd never said anything. Both of them. Without one, you just get a two-dimensional, cut-and-paste, lazy, and ultimately hurtful response. One's a Hallmark gift card. The other's a lecture. And they leave us hollow and empty. But when they're present together in the midst of love and tender care, there can be healing in grief. Grief is tricky business. There's no handbook to it. There's no right way but there should be a consistent foundation in the midst of grief, of Christian theology, and of emotion. When those two things are together, along with the hope of the resurrection, you can heal from grief. Another thing, grief is impossible to do alone. Look again at John all over this book. You see people grieving in community. They're all together in this. Mary, Martha, Jesus, this whole community is together, weeping together together. When you and I grieve, we need community. Are you in a community that will push you to Jesus, that will tell you what is true, and will listen to you in your emotion? If you're not, get you in one, because life's going to happen and you're going to feel very alone. Get in a community where that will happen. And finally this, we are called to love one another in the midst of our grief. In the midst of their grief, look—it's no secret that everyone on this campus is grieving something. Everybody knows that. I've talked—I to, talk to 12 to 15 college students a week, and everybody has something going on in their life that's sad. It doesn't have to be death, but there's something going on that you are grieving. And and the whole campus—we're waiting for. While we wait for Jesus to return. We have to love one another in the midst of our grief. We have to care for each other in the midst of this. How do we do that? Well, we sit with them. We cry with them. We pray with them. We hope with them. We push them back to scripture without giving platitudes. How do we do this? One, the best thing you can do is just listen. Just listen to another human being in the midst of their sadness. If Jesus was willing to listen, how much more ought we Second, you weep with them. If Jesus is going to weep, how much more ought we weep with people? And slowly and gently, third, we point them to Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, and to the hope that death does not have the last word. Death does not have the last word for those who believe in Jesus. If that's true, then we have hope for the resurrection And finally, we must cling together to that hope. That is, cling to Jesus who is the resurrection of the life. So remember, friends, that in the midst of your grief, remember that Jesus is the resurrection of the life. And in that, with his theological hope, with his emotional hope, together we can have hope in our grief. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, life's hard sometimes. Oftentimes, things happen in our world that are painful. And we are grateful.